Amen. All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 24, and we're in the last chapter of 2 Samuel, and this is the last sermon in 2 Samuel. Next Wednesday, we'll begin a brand new Bible study in another book of the Bible, and uh, we started, when we started, we, we started 1 Samuel. Now, we're, we're finishing up 2 Samuel. We started going through 1 Samuel verse by verse and chapter by chapter uh, back in July of 2015, July 15, 2015, and we went through 1 Samuel. It took us from July 2015 to April 2016 to go through the book of 1 Samuel, and then 2 Samuel from April uh, to now. So it's been about a year, year and six, year and seven months that we've been in uh, studying these books. So I kind of feel bad seeing them go. They're very interesting stories, you know, but we'll start something fresh. Uh, next Wednesday uh, as we just continue to work our way through the Bible. I want to explain to you uh, <clears throat> the story here in 2 Samuel 24 is the last, uh, it's the last story that we find in this book. And at the end of the sermon, I'll explain to you why this story is in the Bible and why it's so important and why God felt the need to put it in Scripture. But what I want you to understand is that it is not in chronological order. As we've been talking uh, on Wednesday nights, the last several chapters, we've been learning about the fact that the last several stories are kind of just the appendix. You know, a book will have an appendix at the end. They'll just kind of add things they want you to, to have. That's kind of the end of the book. God's just adding major stories that he wanted uh, us to know about, but they didn't, they, they didn't follow, follow the, the storyline of the book, so he just kind of added it at, at the end. And, uh, you know, we've seen that in other stories in 2 Samuel, but just to give you something to think about, the major prophet that is dealing with uh, David here in this story is a prophet by the name of Gad. And in the life of David, there were three major prophets that dealt with him. You have Samuel, then you have Gad, and then you have Nathan. And, of course, we know Samuel dealt with David at the beginning of his life, because, remember, Samuel's the one that anointed David. And we know that Nathan dealt with uh, David at the end of his life because uh, Nathan is there when David is an old man and Nathan is the one who actually anoints Solomon to be king. Nathan is the one, if you remember the story, Adonijah, who was Absalom's brother, tried to take the kingdom from Solomon. And that's a different book of the Bible. We'll get to that another time. But it was Nathan who alerted David. So we know that the, the ministry of Nathan was towards the end of the life of David. So God fits there right in the middle. And uh, so the, these events probably took place in the middle of the life of David uh, is, the, is the best guess that, that I can take, at least in regards to that. Look, look down at 2 Samuel 24, and I want to answer a couple of questions of the story, because this, this story brings up uh, several uh, questions, and I want to try to answer them for you this, this evening. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says this, And again, the anger of the Lord. I want you to notice how it says there, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah God. It says, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now, we're not really told why the anger of the Lord is kindled against Israel. We just know it is. And he, that's the Lord, moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Now, keep your place there in 2 Samuel 24. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter number 21. Now, if you're there in 2 Samuel, you're just going to go past 1 and 2 Kings into the book of First Chronicles, First Chronicles, chapter twenty-one, and look at verse number one. Now, in First Chronicles twenty-one, do me a favor when you get there, put a ribbon or a bookmark. You should have a, a Baptist Distinctives bookmark that you can probably use uh, to stick in there. And First uh, Chronicles twenty-one, First Chronicles twenty-one is a parallel passage 
of 2 Samuel 24. It's the same story given to us in a different book, and we can get different, uh, a different look to it and a different aspect to it. I want you to notice what 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1 says. 1 Chronicles 21.1 says, And Satan, notice it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And oftentimes these passages will be brought to us and people will say, Well, there's a contradiction in Scripture. Because in 2 Samuel 24 it says, The Lord... It says that he moved David against them to, uh, to say, go number Israel and Judah. And then in 1 Chronicles 21, it says that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And people will often ask, you know, is this a contradiction? Why, why does one place say it says the Lord did it and another place says that Satan did it? And I want, you to, I want to try to explain that to you just quickly tonight. Uh, keep, keep your place there in 1 Chronicles and go with me to the book of John. John chapter number 10. You got Matthew, Mark. Luke, John. John chapter 10, it's Bible study night, right? So we should uh, study the Bible. And I want you to look at a couple of things. And let me make a couple of statements, because here's a question. And, and let me go ahead and give you my, my belief, and I'll prove it to you. I'll do my best to prove it to you from Scripture. I, I don't believe there's a contradiction here. I believe that God used Satan... God used Satan here to provoke David to number Israel. Because remember, the Lord, his anger was kindled against Israel, and he moved David. The Bible says that God moved David to, uh, against the nation of Israel uh, to, to say, go number Israel and Judah. But I, I believe that the way that God moved David is by using Satan to basically provoke David to number Israel. Now, I want you to understand a couple of things, and if, and if this is something that you are interested in or something that you maybe struggle with understanding, I'd like you to write a f- several statements down, all right? I'm going to give you three statements to try to help you understand this idea of how did God use Satan or why did God use Satan. Here's the first statement. God, God does not force His will on others. God does not force... His will on others. God is not a Calvinist. God does not force anybody to do anything. Instead, so God does not force His will on others. Instead, God chooses willing vessels. So God does not force His will on others. But instead, what he does is he will choose a willing vessel. He will choose a vessel who's already willing. And here's what I want you to understand. And this might be the part that's difficult for you to grasp, whether it's good or evil, whether it's right or wrong. And here's what I want you to understand. God is not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. God has an agenda of making sure that this community gets the gospel preached to it. But God's not going to make you preach the gospel. But here's what God will do. He will choose someone who's willing to do it. Someone who's willing to go and preach the gospel, he will choose that person, he will help that person, he will empower that person in the same way. And that's easy for us to grasp. But in the same way, God will, when, when he needs evil to be done, when he needs wrong, and, and, and that's the wrong wording, I shouldn't say that, when he wants to do wrong, when he wants, and that's the wrong wording also, let me, let me correct all that. When he wants to bring destruction, that's the right word upon someone. He doesn't make Satan do it. He just finds a willing vessel who's willing to do it. And Satan is always willing to do it. John chapter 10, look at verse 10. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking about Satan. And let me, let me read to you this passage. John chapter 10 and verse 10. This is Jesus speaking about the devil. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, the thief cometh, the thief cometh not, the thief cometh not, 
but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. All right? He says, Satan is not come but to do these things. These are the things that he's come to do. To steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is explaining to us that Satan's will, his desire, his purpose in life is to come and to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's always willing to do that. He's always wanting to do that. He's always ready to do that. Oftentimes, the reason that Satan doesn't do that is because God is holding him back. Because God is keeping him. And we'll look at the story of Job here in a second, where God put a hedge of protection around Job, keeping the devil from allowing to come into the life of Job in order to steal and to kill and to destroy. But at any moment... God can allow someone to do what they already want to do, what Satan already wants to do. So you want to understand. Here's the statement. God does not force his will on others. Instead, he chooses willing vessels for both evil and good. And Satan, when it comes to hurting and to destroying and to killing and and, and to tempting, is always a willing vessel. Let me give you an example of this. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter number 18. 1 Chronicles chapter number 18 and do me a favor, keep your place there in John. And I, I think you should have your place in John and in First Chronicles. Just keep your place there for now. Go to First Chronicles chapter number 18. And here's what I want you to understand. God is not forcing David to sin. In fact, we're going to look at a passage in James here in a second that will prove that. David already wanted to sin. David already wanted to do wrong. David was enticed. David was tempted of his own lust. And often, and here's what you need to understand, because we don't, you know, as Christians, we don't get this. Sometimes you want something so bad, God doesn't only allow you to have it, sometimes He just opens up the road for you to get it. And you say, well, I'm going to get that and it's going to ruin my life. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, that's what God's trying to do. Sometimes the only thing God can let you do is let you make choices that are going to destroy your own life in order to bring you to the end of yourself. Second Chronicles 18, look at verse number 19. Second Chronicles chapter number 18 and verse 19. Notice what the Bible says. Second Chronicles 18 and verse 19. We have a story here of King Ahab. Second Chronicles 18, 19. Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord said, Second Chronicles chapter number 18 and verse 19. I want you to look at this. This is an interesting story. Second Chronicles 18 and look at verse 19. And the Lord said, and the Lord said, Who shall entice? I want you to notice that word entice. See, here's what I want you to understand. Ahab already wanted to do this. Ahab, this was already a desire that Ahab had. Now, God asked this question. Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And Now, here's what I want you to understand. Ahab wants to go fight in Ramoth-Gilead. God is going to open up the way for him to do that. And as a result of that, Ahab is going to die in this battle. Ahab is going to be destroyed in this battle. But God is saying, who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake saying after this manner, and another saying after that manner. God's having a a meeting in heaven. And he's he's asking, you know, what what are we going to do? How are we going to get this done? Look at verse 20. Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord. And said, notice what he said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? 
said, how are you going to entice him? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now, you, you may look at that story and say, is God condoning of lying here, that a lying spirit? But here's what I understand. This lying spirit was willing to lie anyway, was wanting to lie anyway. The only reason that he hadn't already lied to Ahab is because he hadn't got permission from God. But when God, see, sometimes you want to be lied to and God says, you want to be lied to? I'll let you get lied to. Sometimes people come to me and they they want to make a, a decision in their life and they've already decided what they want to do. And it doesn't matter what prophet God sends. It doesn't matter what pastor God sends. It doesn't matter what spiritual leader God sends in their life to try to help them to, to not see it. They want to be lied to. And here's what God says. You want to be lied to? Sure, I'll let you get lied to. There's plenty of lying spirits that are willing to lie to you. There's plenty of lying spirits that are willing to tempt you, David. You want to count the people and you're not supposed to? You want to count the people and not do it correctly? There's, there, there, Satan's always willing and ready to tempt and entice you. That's the road you want to go down. David. Go to, go to Job. Job. I said, number one, God does not force his will on others. Instead, he chooses willing vessels for both evil and good. But here's the second statement. Go to Job chapter one. You're there in second Chronicles. You're going to go past Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Job. And we're going to get back to the story here in a minute, but I want, I want to lay this foundation. Here's the statement. Number two, write this down. There is much that Satan wants to do, Right? He wants to steal and kill and destroy. There is much that Satan wants to do, but there is nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. There is much that Satan wants to do, but there is nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. Are you there in Job chapter 1? Look at verse 9. And we're not going to go through the whole story of Job. I'm assuming you're familiar with the story of Job. But look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord. So again, God's up in heaven, and here comes a lying spirit. And this, and this time it was Satan himself, the father of lies. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made an hedge about him? Now notice that. Has not thou made an hedge about him? A hedge is a wall. It's a, it's, a, it's a fence. It's a protection. He said, Has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance that has increased the land. He said, Does God, God Job, Job doesn't serve you, God, for no reason. I mean, you put a hedge of protection around him. You put a hedge of protection around his family and around everything that he has. Look at verse 11. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Now, that's... Satan's accusation. Remember, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's accusing Job to God. Knows what God does. Look at verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. He just gave him permission. Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself. Now notice, he puts a limit. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Satan would love to kill Job, but he's only allowed to do what God allows him to do. He's only allowed to do what God allows him. See, there is much that Satan would like to do, but there is nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. So look, when Satan's attacking you, realize that God is the one who's allowing him to. When when, when you feel like the attacks are coming and the fight's coming and the battles are coming, just realize God's not in heaven heaven just wondering what's going on. You know, I took a nap and I didn't realize, you know, they're in trouble down there. No, everything is filtered through God. And although God is not a Calvinist that brings these things upon us, from time to time, God does allow a lying spirit, a tempting spirit. Look at Job chapter 2, look at verse 3. Job chapter 2, look at verse 3. 
Of course, Satan goes and, and, and does what he can, and Job still refuses to curse God. So there's round two, Job chapter two, look at verse three. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And so he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Now look, I, I, don't, I don't think that this is, I, I'm telling you right now, I don't think this is happening, but I sure hope, I, I, would, I would love for, for God to be up in heaven Speaking to Job and saying, have you considered my, you considered that Verity Baptist Church? You moved my hand against them. You let me bring persecution. You let me bring lawsuits. And you let me bring this. And you let me bring that. But notice, they're still serving. They're still soul winning. They're still meeting on Wednesday night. They're still preaching the word of God. Look at verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath, he will give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. So he ups the ante. He says, well, yeah, I mean, you took everything out, but let me get to his body. Let me get to his health, and he'll curse you to thy face. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. That's permission. Notice the limit, but save his life. He said, you, you, can, you can touch his health, but don't kill him. And here's what I understand. There is much that Satan wants to do. Satan is always willing and ready to kill and to steal and to destroy. There is much that Satan wants to do, but there's nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. And that ought ought to be a comfort to us to realize that when Satan, when we're engaged in battle with Satan, it's because God allowed it. It's because God, and the Bible says there is no temptation taken you, but such as a common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. If God allows something to come into your life, then God knows that you can deal with it. Then God knows that you can handle it, and God has made a way to escape. There's much that Satan wants to do, but there's nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. Let me give you the third statement. Go to Psalms. The, the book of Psalm, you're there in Job. It's the next book over. Psalm 109. Psalm 109. Look at verse 1. I said, number one, God does not force his will on others. Instead, he chooses willing vessels for both evil and good. And I said, number two, there is much that Satan wants to do, but there is nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. Here's a third statement to kind of help you understand what's happening in the story. Statement number three, from time to time, God, from time to time, God will allow Satan to do what Satan already wants to do. That's the key. It's not God making Satan do these things. It's things that Satan already wants to do. He just has never had, he doesn't have the permission to do it. And from time to time, God will allow Satan to do what Satan already wants to do if what Satan wants to do aligns itself with what God wants to do. Do you understand what I just said? From time to time, God will allow Satan to do what Satan already wants to do if what Satan wants to do aligns itself with what God wants to do. See, Satan was trying to get Job to curse God. That's not what God was trying to do. In fact, Job told us, Job understood, he said, when I am come forth, he said, he said when, when God has tried me, he said, I shall come forth as gold. What God was doing was bringing trials and tribulations in the life of Job in order to purify him, in order to make him better and make him stronger. Satan wanted to destroy Job. God wanted to uh, uh, strengthen Job, but God allowed Satan to do what Satan already wanted to do when what Satan already wanted to do aligned itself with what God wanted to do. It's like Calvinism. It's just God is a very smart, most 
brilliant individual that the universe has ever known. Psalm 109, look at verse 1. Psalm 109, verse 1. Psalm 109, verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. This is David speaking. Hold not thy peace, O God, of my praise. This is David speaking to, to God. He says, hold not thy peace. He says, he says, God, don't stand there quietly. You ever been there? Where you feel like you're being attacked and you, you wish somebody would say something? This is what David's saying to God. He said, God, don't just stand there. God, don't just stand there quietly. He said, hold, hold not thy peace, O God. Of my praise. Look at verse 2. He said, for, and, here, and he's about to start telling God, here's what they're doing. Here's what the people are doing to him. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compass me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. And notice verse 6. He, 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 told, he, he just got done telling God what they're doing to him. They're speaking against me. They've opened their mouths against me. They have fought against me. They've compassed me about. Now David is going to tell God what he'd like, David, what he'd like God to do. Look at verse 6. He says to, he's just, David speaking to God. He says, set thou a wicked man over him. Talking about his enemies. And let, the word let means allow Satan, uh, uh, and let Satan stand at his right hand. Do you understand what David's doing here? He's saying, God, would you allow Satan to stand at the right hand of my enemies? Here's what he's saying. Will you let Satan lose on those who are attacking me? And here's what I understand. From time to time, God will allow Satan to do what Satan already wants to do, which is to steal and to kill and to destroy. When what Satan already wants to do aligns itself with what God wants to do. And David is asking God, would, would it, God, would it be your will to destroy my enemies, to fight against my enemies. And here's how I'd like you to do it, God. Would you please set thou a wicked man over him, my enemy, and let Satan stand at his right hand? Is that not, not, not enough proof? Let me give you more proof. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you kept your place in John, you're going to go past John, past Acts, past Romans, into 1 Corinthians. I'm trying to prove to you that God will sometimes allow Satan to do what Satan already wants to do. When what Satan already wants to do aligns itself with what God wants to do. We saw David asking for that. Now, let's see the Apostle Paul ask the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians 5, 5, notice what Satan... No, Satan, good night. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. The godly Apostle Paul. Notice what he said. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Here, the Apostle Paul is talking about a church member that they're exercising discipline over because they're living in fornication. And do you understand what, do you understand what Paul just prayed? He said, he said, God, would you deliver this individual unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh? Now you say, well, does, is God prompting Satan to destroy this young man's flesh? No. See, if you remember, Satan is all too happy to destroy the thief has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. He's ready to destroy at any time. All he needs is God to just kind of let him do it. And, God t- and, and Paul says, would you, would, you allow, would you deliver this such an one unto Satan for the destruction of flesh? 
That the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You're there in 1 Corinthians 5. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me give you one more example. 1 Timothy chapter 1. You find those T-books. First uh, and second, if you're in Corinthians, 1 and Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 20. This is the Apostle Paul again. Now he's not speaking about a church member. He's speaking about... False prophets, notice what he says. 1 Timothy 1, verse 20. 1 Timothy 1, 20. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, notice what he says, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now I'll be honest with you, I've never prayed that prayer. And I hope I never have to. <laughs> I hope I never do. But the Apostle Paul is literally praying. The Apostle Paul is praying about a church member that's gone, that's gone, uh, uh, that's rebelled, and said, "God, I'm delivering this person to unto. Would you say? Would you allow Satan? Would you remove the head and let Satan just do what Satan already wants to do?" See, what I want you to understand is, there's no contradiction here. It's God allowing Satan to tempt David. You say, "Well, is God keeping? You know, is God doing sin?" No, no, no. Satan wants to destroy. David wants to sin. God is just getting out of the way. See, sometimes we, we want God to get out of the way. Or at least we think we want God to get out of the way. But look, sometimes when God gets out of the way, you don't know what that means. And you don't know what may come. Go, go back to 2 Samuel 24. So the first question I want to answer tonight is, is, how did God use Satan? Or why did God use Satan? And I want you to understand, God, there's no sin here on the part of God. God is just letting David do what David wants to do. And God is just letting Satan do what Satan wants to do. And you may be able to attest to the fact, or maybe you can't attest to the fact now, but one day you'll wake up and you'll realize, God just let me have what I want to have. Remember the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness? And they kept complaining about the manna that God provided for them. And look, if God provides manna for you, then that manna is going to be healthy enough and nourishing enough to provide your needs. But they kept complaining, they kept complaining, and they said, we want, they, 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 they said, we want flesh, we want flesh, right? What did God, God said, okay, I'll give, you want, sure. He said, I'll give it to you where it comes out of your nose. He said, I'll give it to you where you, where you start throwing it up. He said, he said, I'll just give you what you want, and listen to me. Sometimes the worst thing God can do for you is let you have what you want. Amen. And you say, well, I want this, and I want that, and I want this big house, and I want this last car, and I want this income, and I want this. Hey, maybe the worst thing that God could do for you is to let you have what you think you want. Because one day you'll wake up, and you'll realize that's not what I really wanted. Second Samuel 24. Let me answer the second question. The first question is, why did God use Satan, or how did God use Satan? The, the second question is this, what did David do wrong? We read the story, and David takes a number of the people, he takes a census, and God gets all upset about it. And the question is this, well, what did, what did David do wrong? And I want you to notice that I believe there are two, two things here that we can look at, and I want to try to show them to you both. 2 Samuel 24, look at verse 2. For the king, that's David, for the king said to Joab, now look, Joe is not the most spiritual guy in the room, right? I mean, Joab's not really Mr. Right with God. But he said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, notice what David says, that I may know, that I may know the number of the people. So I want you to go through a number of the people. Why, why, why David? 
Because I want to know. Because I'm curious. Because I, I, there's some, something about knowing the number of the people that he wanted to, he wanted to know. Look at verse 3. And Joab said unto the king. Now notice, notice Joab's reaction is interesting. Because like I said, Joab's not Mr. Spiritual. And the Bible says in verse 3, And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the, unto the people. He said, How many soever they be. He said, We don't know how many people you have, David. We haven't taken a census before. And he said, but, but let, me say, let me tell you something, David. However so many there be, wh- whatever that number is, he said, the Lord thy God add unto the people. Notice what he said, an hundredfold. He said, whatever the number is, David, whatever that number is, you know, I pray that God would multiply that number by a hundred. Notice what he says. And that the eyes of my Lord the King may see it. He said, I, I, I hope that one day you can see it and you can look at it and realize, wow, the population has grown, wow, the military has grown, wow, our power has grown. But notice what, notice what he says. But why doth my Lord the King, why don't you notice this word? You ought to underline this word in your Bible or circle this word. Why doth my Lord thy, the King delight in this thing? The word delight means a high degree of pleasure, enjoyment, or satisfaction. See, I want you to understand something. There's two major issues, I believe, that come with the story. And the first one is this. David's motives were wrong. David had the wrong motives. Did you know that motives matter? It's not just what you do, but why you do it. It's not enough to do the right thing. It's not enough to do a thing. God wants to know why you're doing it. And see, I believe Joab's reaction here tells us, Joab's reaction explains to us that David's motives were not the proper motives. They were not the right motives. They were, his heart was not in the right place. And I believe with David, this was a pride thing. Uh, keep your uh, place there in 2 Samuel. Go, go to 1 Chronicles 21 and look at verse number 3. 1 Chronicles 21. Remember 1 Chronicles 21 was the parallel passage to the story? Look at 1 Chronicles 21 and look at verse number 3. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 3. And Joab answered. And Joab answered the Lord. Notice what he says. This is the same story, just different parallel passage. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord the King. Now notice what Joab says in this. In this, this is the same story, just we're getting a different, different details. Notice what he says. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? He said, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then doth my lord require this thing? Why will he, why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, David, it doesn't matter what the number is. They're all your servants. David, see, David's being a little insecure right now. David's got, got a little pride issue going on. And he wants to be able to figure out, if I've got more people than the nation down the street, if we've got a bigger military than the other guy, if we've got more going on than this guy or that guy, and his motives are wrong. And he's asking these questions, and Joab, and listen to me, when, 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 the, when the guy, when the guy, look, it's one thing when Pastor Jimenez preaches to you and tells you, but when the guy at work who doesn't go to church, when the guy at work who uh, tells dirty jokes, when the guy at work who, who is not spiritual is telling you, I think you have a drinking problem, you probably have a drinking problem. I mean, when Joab, when Joab's telling you, I don't think you should do this, David, you should probably listen. 
It's one thing when the pastor, it's one thing when Nathan shows up. It's one thing when God shows up. But when Joab is saying, I don't think you ought to be doing that. You ought to, you ought to take heed to those warnings, my friend. Sometimes God brings warnings into our lives. Don't despise those warnings. And here, Joab is saying, look, whatever the number is, whatever the number is, I hope God multiplies it by 100. Whatever the number is, David, whatever it is, aren't they not all your servants? They're all your servants. Don't do this, David. You don't need to do this. And here's the thing. I believe, I believe the primary issue here is the fact that David's motives were wrong. Now, we're going to talk about the methods here in a little bit because his methods were wrong also. But I, I personally think that's a secondary thing in this issue. But let me, let's run one more verse and then we'll get to that. Go to James chapter number one. If you kept your place in 1 Timothy, you got First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. First, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. James chapter one. And look at verse number 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13. We're going to move quickly. James 1 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God doesn't tempt you with sin. Notice what he says. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Look at verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You see that word lust there? That's why, that's why Joab said to David, why does my lord the king delight in this thing? That was his lust. He said, when he is drawn away of his own lust and, don't miss this word, enticed. See, Ahab already wanted to do it. Ahab already wanted to go down to the wrong battle. And the lying spirit said, I'll entice him, but he already wanted to be enticed. See, his lust already wanted to do it. Sometimes God will let you do what you want to do. Notice verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And you know that's true. But here David, has the, I believe he has the wrong motives. Go, go back to 2 Samuel 24, look at verse 4. 2 Samuel 24, look at verse 4. Notwithstanding, notwithstanding, listen to me. Listen very carefully. Don't despise the warnings God gives you. Don't despise the warnings God gives you, whether it's God or Joab. Because Joab says, don't do this, David. You don't want to do this, David. They're all your, they're all your loyal subjects anyway, David. Whatever the number is, let God multiply. But don't do this, David. And when Mr. Not Spiritual is saying, I don't think you should do that. Don't despise that warning, because notice what David does. Look at verse 4. Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab. I've had, I've had a lot of talks like this in my office, where I, I'm the Joab. Don't do it. Yeah, you don't want to do that. That's the wrong choice. I already decided. I already know. I already... Sometimes the worst thing God can do is let you do what you want to do. Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab. And against the captain of the host. And Joab and the captain of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Look at verse 5. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in a rower on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of God and toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatimhodshai. And they came to uh, Danjin and from Zidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites. And they went out uh, to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem. I want you to miss this. Don't, don't miss this. <laughs> At the end, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to not miss it. 
at the end of nine months and 20 days. Here's what I want you to notice. Don't despise the warnings God gives you and don't despise the time God gives you. Sometimes you set things in motion and David had nine months and 20 days to get it right. David had nine months and 20 days to, to say, you know what, let's abort. I made the wrong decision. God gave David time to get it right and David just did what he thought he wanted to do. Look at verse 9. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David, notice verse 10, look at verse 10. And David's heart smote him. After that, he had numbered the people. It's funny how David's heart didn't smote him for nine months. But when Joab shows up and gives him the number, once the deed is done, once the trigger's been pulled, now the guilt sets in. Isn't that how it always is? With sin? God will give you time. God will give you warnings. But once the deed is done, once you've slept with Bathsheba, David, it's too late. Once they've given you the number, David, it's too late. You're like, well, my heart smote me. Yeah, but now there's consequences to deal with. Now, now, you've got to, now you've got to reap where you've sowed, David. Look at verse 10. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. I wish you would have done that like a week earlier, David. Wish you would have done that a month earlier, David. You had nine months and 20 days to get this right. He said, I have sinned greatly in that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Listen to me, if you're a young person in this room, if you are a young person, you consider yourself a young person, listen to me very carefully. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And you can say, God, I, I wish you'd take it back, Lord, please take it back. I, don't, I, I wish I could go back. But you, sometimes you can never go back. Sometimes you just have that child. Sometimes you're just in that marriage. Sometimes you just have to deal with those health problems and deal with those health issues. God gives you time and God gives you warning, but when you ignore the time and when you ignore the warning, when you pull that trigger, sometimes you just have to deal with the consequences. I said, first of all, what David did wrong here was that I believe his motives were wrong. But, I, but the Bible does teach here that his methods were wrong as well, and I want to show that to you. Go, go to Exodus chapter number 30. Exodus chapter 30. We've got to be done in about 12 minutes, so we'll do this quickly. Exodus chapter 30. It should be fairly easy to find. Second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 12. Exodus chapter 30, verse 12. Most people, the way I've heard this passage preached, most people will say, and I'm not saying, if people say this, I'm not saying they're wrong. I just, it's not what I think. But most people will say that this is a primary trespass against David in the story. I don't think that's the case, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you why. But in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 12, the Bible says this. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel, talking about numbering the people, after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. Okay? So here we are told that when you number the people, the children of Israel, you're supposed to receive a ransom for his soul. You're supposed to take... A, 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 an offering. He said, when thou numbers them, uh, that there shall be no plague among them when thou numberest them. And uh, often what people will say, and I don't think it's wrong, is that David did not receive the proper, uh, the, the, did not receive the proper offering here from the people. They were supposed to each give a shekel or whatever it was. And that because of that, the plague came. 
Now, I don't, I don't necessarily, I do believe that that's probably what happened here because there is no reference to an offering being taken. But I don't think that's the primary application. And here's why. Here's why I don't think it's the primary application. Because if that was the case, I don't think, the, I don't think Joab would have reacted the way he did. I think Joab would have said, okay, no problem, and I'll just make sure to get the shekel from everybody. But the fact that Joab's like, why are you doing this, David? They're all your servants. I think there's a, there's a problem here with David's heart. And let me say something. Whatever the out whatever the outward issue is, it always starts in the heart. It's always a heart issue anyway. It's always a heart problem anyway. But here's the other reason why I, I, I don't know that this was a primary issue. Because notice what the Bible says in verse 12, the, la, the last part of verse 12. That there be no plague among them when thou numbers of people. And people say, well, see, they're supposed, to, they're supposed to get a plague if you didn't take the offering, and they got a plague. But keep in mind, they got a plague because that's what David chose. It would have been one thing if God said, I'm going to bring a plague because you didn't bring the offering. But that's not what happened in the story. In the story, God gives them three choices. And one of them was a plague. And David chose that plague as a punishment. And by the way, the other two choices, David ended up getting those in his lifetime also. Uh, go, go back to, to 2 Samuel 20. Actually, go, go, go back to 1 Chronicles. But go to chapter 15. Look at verse 13. We'll, we'll look at a couple of verses and we'll, we'll, we need to finish up here. But um, 1 Chronicles 15, look at verse 13. This is a different story about David. Uh, remember when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back? And they didn't do it the right way. The Levites were supposed to carry it on their shoulders. Uzzah decided to help by putting his hand on the Ark to stabilize it from falling. And God ended up killing Uzzah. In 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13, the Bible says this. For because you did it, 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13, for because you did it, this is talking about the moving of the altar, uh, of, of the ark, excuse me. Not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. That's referring to the, the, the killing of Uzzah. For that we sought him not after the due order. And I will say this, not only do motives matter, but methods matter. It's important how we do things. We don't just get to do what we want, and that's what the liberals teach today. Well, you know, we're just doing, as long as our heart's in the right place. No, 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 you better make sure you're doing it the way God told you to do it. If you're moving the ark, you better make sure you're moving the ark the way God said to do it. And, and if you're going to take a census, David, if you're going to take a census, you better make sure you do what God told you to do. Methods matter. But let me say this. People will say, well, as long as we got the methods right, as long as I'm doing exactly, you know, why are you doing it? There's many people that are spiritual. There are many people that are spiritual so they can boast and brag about it on Facebook. There are many people that are spiritual so that they can do it to be seen of men. And here's what I want you to understand. Motives matter. I'm going to take a census. Why are you doing it, David? For the glory of God. It's, it seems like it's for the glory of you. See, the motives were wrong. And the methods were wrong. Go back to 2 Samuel 24. And again... I, I think the primary issue is the heart, because I think that's always the primary issue. But I, I do think that the primary issue, even in the story, is the heart. Because, that's, cause, cause again, if it was just about the shekel, I think Joab would have just said, okay, no problem. You want me to count the people? Sure, we'll count the people. I'll make sure to get a shekel. I don't think it was about the shekel. I think Joab understood that what was happening here was not of God, and it was David being in the flesh. And again, if it was just the shekel, if it was just the offering, then the plague would have came as God promised. But the plague didn't come. Three options were offered to David. So to me, that shows that it's more. It's not just about that God wanted this offering. Go to, go to 2 Samuel 24, look at verse 11. And if you don't agree, that's fine. You're, um, you're, you have a right to, 
think whatever you want. 2 Samuel 24, look at verse 11. 2 Samuel 24, look at verse 11. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, I think it's interesting, I'll say it's David's seer. God, God gave a seer to David. God gave a prophet to David. You know God gave you a pastor? Ephesians says that God has given you a pastor. That God has given you teachers and God has given you put, put spiritual leadership in your life. And look, the whole point of, of spiritual leadership is not the, 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 the hardest thing I do, but the most important thing I do is, is not, is, you know, sending you the, the, the no, you know, having my wife write out the thing, you know, the birthday card with the gift or whatever, you know, that's easy. Everybody loves that. It's, it's when, when, when we've got to make that phone call, when we've got to have that meeting, when we've got to come and confront and say, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? What, what's wrong with your heart? See, see this, is, this is ministry. By the way, you guys that want to be pastors, that's ministry. Anybody can get up and preach a sermon. But when you've got to confront people and help people and then, and then have them be mad at you, the one thing about David, the one thing about David is every time a prophet showed up, he took it. I wonder if that's why he's called a man after God's own heart. Because Nathan shows up and he says, you're right, Nathan. God shows up and he doesn't put him to death. Notice what happens. Look at verse 11. And when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet uh, Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three options. Choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, here's option one. Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in, the, in thy land? Number two, wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Here's option three, or that there be three days pestilence in thy land. Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. Verse 14, and David said unto God, I am in a great strait. He said, this is a narrow position. This is a difficult position. He says, let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. And here's basically what David is saying. If I fall into the hand of man, they're probably not going to show mercy, but I know God, and I know he's gracious, and I know he's loving, and he's probably going to show mercy, so I'm just going to choose God. And he chose the pestilence. And again, I'm not saying that it's, not, it's, not, it's a coincidence with Exodus 30. I'm just saying that it's very clear from the scripture that the plague came because David chose the plague, not because God, God gave him those, those three options. Look at verse number 14. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 15. So the Lord sent a a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. He wants to get a count of the men and then 70,000 men die as a result of it. Look at verse 16. And when the angel strikes out his hand upon Jerusalem. So the angel is going through and destroying. The angel is going through and destroying Jerusalem. the nation of Israel. Now I want you to notice when he gets to Jerusalem to destroy it, 2 Samuel 24, verse 16, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough, stay now thine hand. So I guess David was right. God, God was gracious. And the angel Lord was by the threshing place of Aranua the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord, when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And let me just say this. Your sin will affect others. You're not an island. 
No man liveth unto himself. No man dieth unto himself. Your sin will always affect others. People want to act like, well, you know, I don't understand. As long as I'm just into this one sin, it's not hurting anybody. And we act like, our, you know, the only sin, is, you know, if I walk up and punch you in the face, you know, that's like the only bad sin because I'm hurting you or something. Your sin will affect others, especially if you're a leader, especially if you're a husband, especially if you're a father, especially if you're a pastor. Here David sinned and it affected those that were following him. Look at verse 18. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up. We're an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aranua, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of God, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aranua looked and saw the king and his servant coming on toward him. And Aranua went out and bowed himself before the king on his face unto the ground. And Aranua said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aranua said unto David, Let my lord the king, notice what he says, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. I want you to understand what's going on here. The angel is coming to destroy Jerusalem. God repent of the evil that he thought to do unto the people. And he said, stay. He says, it is enough. Stay now thine hand. And he stops. He stops the destruction right when he gets to the, the threshing place of this man, Aranua, the Jebusite. So God says, go to that location and create an, put an altar there and do a sacrifice. David shows up. And Arunua seems to be this great man because he says, he says, what are you doing here, king? And he says, I'm here to rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor. And he says, notice verse 22, And Arunua said unto David, let my lord the king take. He said, let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be the oxen for burnt sacrifice and the threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. Here's what he said, you can have it. You can have the threshing floor and you can have the oxen and you can have all the tools to do the sacrifice. I'll give it to you. Notice how David responds. Verse 23. All these things that I renewed as the king unto the king and I renew said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. I want you to notice that word, accept thee. Said the Lord thy God, accept thee. Look at verse 24. And the king said unto Arunua, Nay, but I, now this is, this is David's response. He says, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. He said, I'm not just going to take it free from you. He said, I'm going to pay for this at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and the 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so that the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Now keep your place, keep, you can lose your place there. Go, go to Malachi, just real quick. We're going to go to Malachi and, and Chronicles and, and, and we'll be done. Malachi is the last book in the Old, Old Testament. It should be fairly easy to find. While you turn there, let me just quote for you from Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul said this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, here David is getting ready to do a sacrifice, but you know in the, in the New Testament, God expects you and I to present our bodies a living sacrifice? Holy, and remember what Arunua said? He said, he said, the Lord accept thee. Here's what Paul said about our sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Are you there in Malachi chapter 1? Look at verse 7. Malachi chapter 1, verse 7. Here's a passage about sacrifices. Notice what he says. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? 
and that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Look at verse 8. And if ye offer a bl- the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Here's what he's saying. You are taking of your livestock and you're just offering to God the, the sheep or the oxen or whatever it is that is sick, that is lame, that is blind, that you probably can't make a profit off, that you probably are, that's probably going to die off anyway. He says, is that not evil? He's, notice verse 8. Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or, here's the key word, accept thy person? Say the Lord of hosts. So here's what you need to understand. Here's what David understood. God will not accept a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something. God will not accept a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something. David said, I will not sacrifice. He said, I will not sacrifice. I will buy it of thee at a price. He said, that which doth cost me nothing. He said, I won't sacrifice from that which doth cost me nothing. Go to 1 Chronicles 21. And here's what I want you to understand. In the New Testament, the Bible says that you and I are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And please understand what I'm saying. Today, we have a Christianity in America in 2017 that says, I will sacrifice to God as long as it doesn't cost me anything. As long as it doesn't cost me anything. Sure, I'll I'll serve God. Sure, I'll sacrifice. As long as it doesn't give me any trouble. As long as it doesn't bring me any persecution. As long as I don't got to do, you know, as long as it's free. Clear. Easy. But listen to me. As soon as you decide, I will serve God as long as it doesn't cost me anything. And let me say it this way. As soon as you run away from the cost of sacrificing to God, you just made your sacrifice unacceptable. God says, I don't want your blind sacrifice. I want something that's going to cost you something. I don't want your lame and your sick animals that you're not going to be able to sell anyway. I want you to just give me the healthy one that's going to cost you. David said, I'm not going to, he said, Arunua, I appreciate it. You're, you're very generous, but I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you full price because I will not sacrifice unto God that which costs me nothing. Listen to me. We need Christians in America today that will stand up and say, I will serve God even if it costs me. Amen. Even if I have to pay. Even if I have to sacrifice. Even if I have to go through persecution. Even if it, even if it costs. Because listen to me, the cost of the sacrifice is what makes it acceptable before God. Go to 1 Chronicles 21. Look at verse 21. Let me, let me finish the sermon with this, with this idea. And, and the preacher's done. I just want you to get this before we leave. The reason this story is in the Bible, the reason that it's put right at the end of the book, is because this story, this is, this story is important in Scripture because it explains to us where the future temple that Solomon would build would be built and why it was built. Second, first, first Chronicles 21, verse 21. And as David came to Ornan, that's Aranua, it's the same guy, just his name is spelled differently in, in First Chronicles. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor, right? It was an Ornan's threshing floor. And bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price, that the plague may be stayed from the people. He said, I want to pay you for it. I don't want you to give it to me. I don't want a discount. I want it to cost me something, because a sacrifice is only acceptable when it costs me something. 
Until you got Christians saying, well, I don't know that I can make it to Sunday night and Sunday morning and Wednesday night and so on. I think that cost me too much. Hey, when you sacrifice for God, he says, that's acceptable to me. But this Christian, I want to give you a dime for this Christianity that says, I want it, but I want it easy. I want it, but I don't want to suffer. I want it, but I don't want to have to pay anything. That, you don't find that in the Bible. But here you find this ornament and the threshing floor where it stayed, where the plague stayed. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, look at verse 1. Last verse we'll look at. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Remember, the, the angel's coming, destroying the land. He gets to the threshing floor of Ornan. God says, stop. God says, uh, I repent. God says, uh, uh, stay back. He said, don't hurt anymore. And David walks up to that threshing floor. He says, I, I want to buy this threshing floor. So I want to sacrifice to God here. He said, I want to pay you full price. And notice 2 Chronicles chapter 3, and verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. That's the temple. In Mount Moriah. Remember Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah was where Abraham took Isaac up to, to, in Genesis 22 to, to, to kill Isaac at the command of God. Where the Lord appeared unto David his father. Notice this. In the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Isn't that interesting? The same place where the plague stopped is the same place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And it's the same place where Solomon built the temple. And that's why the story is added in Scripture. The importance of the story, the reason God said, oh, by the way, let me just add this one last story to the end of the book, is because he said, I want you to know where and I want you to know why. See, Solomon didn't go out one day and just say, I'm going to build a temple. That place looks good. Let's do it right there. No, he did it on Mount Moriah. Because of this story. Because this is where the plague stopped. This is where David sacrificed. And it cost David something. And you know what? It cost Solomon something to build that temple. And the people of God for years looked at this location as the house of God. And where God dealt with them and where God met with them as a result of the story. So I just wanted to show you that. The importance of the story and why it's added at the end there. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be able to study scripture together. And Lord, uh, we do thank you for allowing us to study these books of First and Second Samuel as we've uh, learned of these great stories and examples in scripture. And Father, I pray, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to not forget these truths, to put them down into our hearts, Lord. Help us to be willing sacrifices, willing, Lord, to sacrifice and to pay the cost. There's a cost to serve Jesus. Help us not to run from that. Help us to be like David and say, you know what? I won't pay full price. I won't, I won't sacrifice to the Lord of that which costs me nothing. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as we begin a new book next Wednesday. Begin to study verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I pray you'd bless that Bible study in your precious name. I pray. Amen.